The year was 1878. That's 145 years ago. A little boy in Wells, United Kingdom, was born. His parents named him Evan, and Evan, at the age of 12, followed in his father's footsteps and became a coal miner. And so this little 12-year-old boy would go back in the coal mines, and as he'd go back in the coal mine, he took his Bible with him and his scriptures with him, and he would read his Bible on his times that they gave him a break. He would even write Bible verses in the ground on, with his finger with the coal dust around. And he began to pray at the age of 12, God, would you send revival? God, would you bring a spiritual awakening? For the next 12 years as a coal miner, he'd pray that. Now he's 24 years old and he changes professions to become a blacksmith. And for the next two years, he's in this, this atmosphere where he's a blacksmith and, and working. And, and one night, there was a, he heard about a prayer meeting, a prayer thing that was taking place with Reverend Seth Joseph. And he gets up one morning, he, he hears about revival breaking out. It's kind of what's happened over in the Asbury. The Reverend Seth would go around and preach and he would send the people home and he'd come back the next day and the place was full and people were praying and confessing and and so young Evan, you know, at the age of 26, shows up to a, a prayer meeting, actually, on September the 29th, 1904. He's sitting in this morning prayer meeting, and he's listening to the reverend speak, and the reverend made this comment, oh God, you need to bend us to your will, that every one of us should be bent towards the will of God. Well, that struck young Evan at age 26, so he began to pray, God, bend me. God, would you bend me, bend my heart for you? Now, what the reverend didn't know is that for the last 13 years, from the age of 12, Evan was praying for God to bring a spiritual awakening, that God would bring revival to the land. And so that prayer began, Lord, bend me in his heart. This was on September the 29th, 1904, and, and God bent his heart for young people. And so he went to the headmaster and he went, he went asked, can I go back home because God has really broken my heart for young people. Can I go back to my home church and just speak to the young people there? The headmaster released him to go and so he made the trek back to his home and he, he got back there and he came in on a prayer night and he said, do you mind, he asked the pastor, do you mind after the prayer meeting that I ask all the young people who want to stay to stay and hear a message that I believe that God's put on my heart to speak to them and the pastor said, absolutely, young Evan, you're more welcome to do that and, and so the pastor says, are there any young people in the, in the auditorium who wants to stay back and listen to Pastor Evan, you, you can and 17 young people stood there and came forward to listen after a prayer meeting on a Monday, October the 31st, 1904. 17 students on Halloween night stayed to listen to this sermon from this young coal miner turned blacksmith message. That night, 16 of the 17 students gave their life to Jesus. The very next night, seven students gave their life to Jesus. The very next night, 20 gave their life to Jesus. And the parents of these children were so amazed of how their child has been transformed that the parents started coming to hear what this young 26-year-old blacksmith 
had to say. Within one week, the 800-seat auditorium was full of parents and young people to hear young Evan, a coal miner, a blacksmith, what he had to say. Over the next two months, 70,000 people were saved. Over the next five months, 85,000 people were saved. And within six months, 100,000 people were saved because a 26-year-old young blacksmith coal miner prayed for 13 years that God would bring a spiritual awakening and may it start with him and may God bend our hearts to you. You can go back and read all the documents and all the recorded public records. It's just amazing. It says that all the sinful activities went on a major, major decline. Every tavern and every bar was closed in the city. Gambling quit. Prostitutes went out of business. Families were united. Broken friendships and broken relationships were restored. People paid all their debts off. Stolen goods were now being returned back on people's doorsteps and we repent because we stole this from you and we want to bring this back to you. The entire city, the entire place was completely transformed. All the divisions in the churches between all the denominations were healed and they finally were united. Classes from middle class, upper class, were now lower class, brought together under the same roof, and no one stubbed their nose down on because they didn't have what they had, what other people had. What's really fascinating is that profanity ceased. It's recorded that even the mules and the donkeys had to learn different commands because all that people spoke to them were swear words. You read it, research it. One pastor writes, he was at a rugby game and 40,000 people were in the stands. 40,000 people. One of the players on the field cursed and instantly stopped in the middle of the game, repented in front of everyone for the swears that came out of his mouth. And 10,000 people broke out in a hymn and began to sing an old hymn at this rugby game. And today we live in a society where Christians think it's cool, it's okay to cuss. Profanity just ceased out of their mouth. Could you imagine? All because of a young 12-year-old begging God to bring a spiritual revival. Coal miner turned blacksmith, now turned evangelist. An entire generation was transformed. Oh God, do it again. Oh God, would you bend our hearts. You see, revival is the Lord's work, but repentance is our work. And repentance is the key to personal revival, and personal revival is the key to a spiritual awakening. You see, Reverend Seth Joseph was preaching and revival started reviving the church, and then God took a no-name little boy, Evan Roberts, and the greatest revival, one of the greatest spiritual awakening and the Wells revival took out and broke out because the little boy begged, God, bend our hearts. In fact, I found a picture. Here's a picture of the 26-year-old Reverend Evan Roberts. 
who God, who became the face of the Wells Revival. And we don't know all the impact it had from there and how it scattered out all over the world. In fact, if you go and trace this back, revival kept going and spreading and spiritual awakening over and over and over. And the difference, in case you have missed the last couple weeks with us, is that revival is for the church, for those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus. The church needs to be revived. It means, again, to live. And we say this over, lost people don't need revival, they need vival, they need a spiritual awakening. You see, revival is the root, but spiritual awakening is the fruit of revival. How do you know that revival broke out? Because there'll be a spiritual awakening. When the church now has boldness to go outside of their walls and share Christ, just like young Evan Roberts did. And that night, to the 17 students, and 16 of them gave their life to Jesus. He preached a four-point message, four points he shared. And today I wanna share with you those exactly same four points that he preached, and then I'm gonna add my sub-points underneath it to add to it. But I'm gonna give you the four things he said on October the 31st, 1904, when revival broke out and the spiritual awakening changed entire generation. The first thing he said was this, He said, we must confess any sins that have not been confessed. We must confess any sins that we have not confessed. So my question to you would be, do you have any unconfessed sin in your life that you have not confessed? And I'm not talking generality here. Well, God, forgive me of everything I've done today. I don't know what I did wrong today, but if I did do something wrong, could you like forgive me of that? I'm talking about specific sins that you have committed that you need to confess? Have you wronged people that you've not made right? What do you need to confess to the Lord? You don't have to come confess to me, I'm not your priest. You have one high priest and his name is King Jesus. And he hears your heart. In fact, 1 John 1, 9 says this, but if you will confess our sins, but if we will confess our sins, look what it says. To him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us. I love that word, cleanse us. That is written in the present tense in the Greek. It means it's a constant thing that happens. It's constantly cleansing us. And that when we confess our sins, the blood of Jesus constantly cleanses us of all our sins. Everybody say all. I looked that up in the Greek. You know what that means? All. Big, small, Ugly, gross, tiny, little, white, live, we don't matter, all. No matter where you fall in that category. So we have no reason this morning at any of our campuses or anybody watching online for us not to say, Holy Spirit, convict me of any sin that I have not confessed to you. And then confess it. And the Bible promised us that when you confess that he will forgive. What I mean, there's... Every single one of us can experience forgiveness today. Every one of us. And some of you, you've been holding on and harboring sins in your life and you've been carrying this and said, there's no way God will ever forgive me of this one thing. There's no way that God, I know he forgives, but I don't feel forgiven. So you need to understand it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. 
And if I've already confessed a sin and it's still thrown up to me and I feel guilty about that, I want to help you this morning. That is not God guilting you, that's the devil accusing you. God doesn't guilt you into sin. God's kindness leads you to repentance of that sin. And so it's amazing of the things that we've already asked God to forgive us, but they still remain in our past, in our minds, and the enemy wants to make us feel guilty or shameful of what we've done when God has already cleansed us of that. So let the guilt go. Lay that down. You have been forgiven, according to the scriptures, if you've confessed. The second thing he said is we must remove anything doubtful in our lives. Is there anything in your life right now that's questionable? Is there anything that you do, that you try, that you put in your body, that you, you kind of like, I don't know if it's really right or wrong, but I really, there's kind of a gray area in my life or in the scripture, and the Bible maybe really not address that. Is there anything in your life that's doubtful? Any doubtful habits that you may have? You need to put them away. You need to stop them. And so I have some things I actually shared. Evan, Evan didn't preach this this night, but I wanna share this morning with you to help you understand if there's anything right now that you're questionable in your life, if you should or you shouldn't do this. You're like, I don't know, maybe. I mean, it feels good, but sometimes it feels bad. I mean, may, I, mean I don't know. So it's kind of gray, and I really don't ask nobody about it, and I just kind of keep it in secret. Here's some questions you could ask yourself. One, will this help me spiritually? The habit you're doing, it doesn't matter, it could be a substance, it could be anything in your life, it could be what you're thinking pattern, it could be what you're watching, it doesn't matter. Just think about it. Is what you're doing that you think is doubtful, will this help you spiritually grow? Maybe, maybe not. You can ask that question. Here's another question. Will this put me in bondage? Which means, can I become addicted to what I'm doing or putting in my body? Can I become addicted to this? Does this have the power to take over me and control me? May be a gray area, may be questionable. And just for the record, and it's, we could talk about this, that's why you'll never see me at a bar. You'll never see me drinking alcohol because I'm not gonna put something in my body that has the power to potential to control me, to take over me. So I, it could be questionable, it could be great, it may not be no big deal, it's okay, and listen, we can debate all day long about this, but I'm not gonna put something in me that has the power to control me. Nor do I, I wanna put something in me that gives permission to your children to say, I saw Pastor Daniel doing it, so why can't I do it? Just because you can, don't mean you should. Which leads to other ones. Will this hurt my body because I'm the temple of God? Whatever substance or whatever you're doing to your body, could this hurt my body? Will this cause someone else to stumble? When someone sees me do this, try this, act this way, say these things, would this make the young people or anybody else around me go, well man, that guy's a Christian, or man, he's a pastor and he does what? Would it cause anybody to look, I don't know about that, that's very questionable. Would this cause someone to some? Will this affect my witness? Will people say, well, you know, that, I think a little less of you. And it's so funny, would this affect my witness? 
Will this violate my conscience? Here's another thing. Will this bring glory to God? Can I ask God what I'm doing that's questionable to bless it? And if I stood before God with this questionable habit, would I be excited about it or kind of, I don't know, like kind of on the fence? I don't know really if God's going, I don't know. I would encourage you then to put it away. And here's a big one. Do you have to do it in secrecy? The questionable habit you have right now, you're trying to hide it that no one knows, you don't want nobody to know about it. It's a gray area, don't really know, and really I really don't feel really bad about it, but I don't want no one to see me do it. That should be an indicator to you to put it away. We want revival, don't we? We want personal revival, we want God to bring spiritual awakening. Are we willing to really do and get in position for God to move? So we need to confess any sins that we have and we need to put away any doubtful habit in our lives. It is not worth it. The third thing he said is that we must say and do all that the Spirit tells us. Are you being obedient to the promptings of the Holy Spirit? When he asks you to do whatever he asks you to do? Or are you delayed or you just don't do it? You know, delayed obedience is still disobedience. When God tells you to share your faith, do you share your faith? When he tells you to witness to your coworker, do you witness? When he tells you to pray for someone, do you pray for When he tells you to bless someone, do you bless someone? And those are things that the Spirit just speaks to us. We have all kinds of commands in the scriptures to love one another, pray for one another, forgive one another. We've already had these commands, are we even doing those things? See, we ask and beg God to bring revival, and God says, then rend your hearts, then get your hearts right before me. Because he says in John 14, 15, if you love me, then obey my commands. You say that you love me, but you won't obey me. So you don't have an obedience problem, you have a love problem, which we talked about last week. Do you really, truly love me? And if you do, then obey me. You see, we all talk about God, we wanna break out and revive when God have a spiritual awakening. God, start with me. God says, okay, let's start with you. Let's confess your sins. Let's work on this questionable habit. Let's go and write anything that was wrong. Let's go and ask that person who hurt you to forgive you, who walked out on you and scarred your heart. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I don't really don't want revival that bad, God. You know, I really don't want you to like, you know, do that. Like, start with like him, not me, right? I mean, do you really wanna see God change our cities? Do you wanna see God change our schools? Do you wanna see God change young people? Do you really wanna see God change the next generation? Or is it all just lip service? Do we really want God to come down and sit down in this place? Because when his holiness shows up, your sinfulness will be exposed. And you'll see how sinful you are and how holy he is, and you cannot help but to fall in his presence and rejoice. Do we really want Jesus to show up? Or are we like, man, just thank you for getting us out of hell, and man, that's cool, and now let me just live my life. Because I've been praying, God, for revival. God, break out in this place. God, do it again. Man, spiritual awakening takes place because the church has been revived, which leads to the fourth point he preached that night. And he says, we must 
publicly confessed Christ. We must publicly confess Jesus. Why is this so difficult? Well, out of fear, we live in a cancel culture. You start talking about Jesus, everybody cancels you. You lose your job. Everybody turns against you. You're a bigot. You're racist. All because you tell people you love Jesus and wanna follow him. So what do you do? Be quiet. Keep it to myself. I love Jesus. He's in my heart. You do you. I'll do me. When are we gonna start publicly confessing Jesus? Just north of us, in Canada, to preach that marriage is one man and one woman for all eternity is a hate crime. And pastors are being arrested for preaching God's word. Do you not think that's gonna come to us quickly? Do you really want revival? You really want God to show up? Or are we just playing church? Then we must confess our sins. We must put away any doubtful habit. We must confess Christ publicly and be obedient when the Holy Spirit prompts us. Then, revival happens in our hearts, in the church, and the fruit of revival is a spiritual awakening. Hundreds, thousand people saved in six months. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 20, so we are Christ's ambassadors. We're to confess him publicly, right? God is making his appeal through you, through me, through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. And I promise you, our nation needs to come back to God. I don't know if you like history and study history. It's one thing that fascinates me is this Try to imagine, I sat and talked to my great-grandmother and I was blessed to have two great-great-grandparents living in five generations and had even conversation with my great-grandmother and she told me the story as a little girl sitting on a hill and she saw something coming around the hill and it scared her to death and she started panicking because she's never seen anything like it before and I said, well, what was it? She goes, it was the first time in my life I saw an automobile. I was like, what was it like? And I was sitting for hours as listening to her story. She would tell you stories. I just love the history. I try to put myself in that era and go, what would I feel like? What would it be like? I started looking here and when the revival ended and spiritual awakening took place and spread all over England, all over Europe, 
all the way down into even the north part of Africa. Eight years later, World War I broke out. And millions and millions of people were slaughtered. Right after a great awakening. So you look back and you start studying all these spiritual great awakenings. The first great awakening here in America in 1734 to 1770. Two young preachers, George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards, preached in the colonies. The great spiritual awakening ended in 1770. Thousands, thousands, 25, I mean, I mean thousands and thousands of people were saved. Five years later in the colonies, the Revolutionary War broke out. It's estimated 25 to 70,000 people, somewhere in between, lost their lives right where the spiritual awakening took place. So you keep tracking through history and you start looking in 1857 and 1858, there's a layman's prayer revival in downtown Manhattan, a guy named Jeremiah Lanifer, just an ordinary guy in the church, got up, started confessing and praying and begging God to do something, and in one year, one million people were saved. In one year, that's recorded. In one year. Three years later, the Civil War broke out. And it's estimated over 600,000 lost their lives. So you're seeing this pattern where there's a great spiritual awakening, then there's a, a buffer moment, and there's those massive, massive casualties. Is this God's wake-up call in grace where he pours out his spirits to save people because he knows something we don't know that massive casualties are coming? You keep reading the great awakening. Right after this, World War I breaks out. You fast forward, just go on to the 70s. In Africa, the Rwanda and Uganda revival took place, and hundreds of thousands of people all over Africa were saved. Hundreds of thousands of people. And then in 1994, the Rwanda genocide, where it's estimated that 800,000 people were murdered and lost their life. And so you're, <laughs> you're seeing this pattern of a great awakening, then massive casualties, and then great awakening, then massive casualties. What does God know that we don't? Is spiritual awakening happening across our world? Is revival breaking out in our country? Then every one of us will go, well, what does God know that we don't know? What does he see coming that we have no idea? Because they seem to be this pattern here when a spiritual awakening takes place, there's war or there's massive casualties. And I don't tell you that to scare you. I tell you that to run to Jesus because he is the only hope that we have. And so I'm gonna leave you with this verse, Joel 2. This is why the Lord says, turn to me now. Now. 
while there is time, give me your hearts. Come with fasting and weeping and mourning. Don't tear your clothes in grief. Tear your hearts. Rend your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate. He told you if you confess, he will forgive. He's slow to anger, and he's filled with unfailing love. He is eager to relent and not punish. And so today, I beg you, give your life to Jesus. As a believer, I beg you, confess any known sin, get rid of any doubtful habit, listen to the Spirit and be obedient when He prompts you, and confess Christ publicly. Then and only then, maybe, because it's not man-made, man cannot initiate revival. God is the only person who can initiate it. We can pray, we can get in position, we can plan, we can do everything, but only when God sees his people's heart will he move. And then maybe we're not the people who just read about it. We actually get to experience it. I'm gonna ask you what to bow your heads. Paul says this, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and you would believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Paul didn't say you have to say a prayer, he didn't say you had to walk an aisle, he didn't say to go to church, he said believe and follow Jesus. And today you can do that. Any of our campuses, whoever's watching online, all you need to do is cry out to Jesus and say, I believe. You came for me, you died for me, and you got up out of the grave for me. And now today, I confess my sins and help me follow you for the rest of my life. And I believe with the scriptures. Confess Jesus, follow Jesus, and you'll be saved. God, what do you know that we don't know? <laughs> Everything. We have no idea what you're up to. Who knows the mind of God? All I know is that you're a merciful, graceful God who wants to save people from their sins. And God, my prayer through this encounter series leading all the way up to Easter is that we will rend our hearts, we will experience personal revival, and then we will go have the boldness to share, witness, or bring people to a place to hear the gospel because it is the only hope for our world. We cannot wait to see what you're going to do. Of course, in Jesus' name we ask and we pray. Amen. 
Thank you so much for joining us online today. Man, if you love that message, man, if you felt led to take a next step, man, we love to take next steps here. And we just want to connect with you. And you can let us know by going to betterlife.church slash next steps. Like I said, man, we just want to connect with you. We want to help you. We just want to love on you. Man, another next step that you can do, man, if you love what God is doing here at Better Life Church and you want to just support what he is doing, you can go to betterlife.church slash give and you can give there. Man, thank you so much for what you're doing. We cannot wait to see you here next week.